It's okay, I'm going to just try this this morning. I'm, I'm used to being out here in the middle. It's hard to believe that uh, we're just 12 days away from Christmas. I mean, where has this last year gone? Just unbelievable that we would be 12 days away from gathering with family and with friends. And uh, Elizabeth and I, Lord willing, are going to be in just about a week from now with uh, our children, our four children and our eight grandchildren as we gather for a family reunion. And I don't know what your custom is uh, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but uh, over the years being a pastor, uh, we've had a little uh, custom in our home of uh, going to the Christmas Eve service, being a part of that, and then coming home and opening just one gift, one gift on Christmas Eve. And then the following morning, we'll get up and we'll read the Christmas story, and then uh, everybody dives in. And you know the drill. You know the drill, especially if you've got young children at home, or you can think back to when you were uh, young in your, your own uh, home of origin, and it's Christmas morning, and uh, in our home in Nebraska, we'd gather all the kids up there on the landing, you know, and they couldn't come downstairs until mom gave them the signal, and you can hardly hold them back. Everybody's ready to dive into those gifts, and, uh, and, and they can hardly wait till Dad stops reading the Christmas story. Uh, there's so much anticipation and energy. It's about, like, about ready to go through the stratosphere. Well, let me ask you this. Think back on some of your Christmases. What's one of the greatest gifts you've ever been given at Christmas time? Was it the red bike? Was it that doll that you'd always uh, uh, wanted, that you'd requested? I remember when we were living in Kansas City, I was just overcome by the generosity of my brother-in-law, Elizabeth's brother, one Christmas. Now, I'm a pastor, so uh, this wouldn't be your favorite gift, but it was one of mine, okay? And I opened this big box of books, and there was Kittle's Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, and I just couldn't believe it. Unbelievable, a very expensive set of books that he had gifted me. I was just overwhelmed. What would it be for you? Ran across a story several years ago of a woman stockbroker who had made millions of dollars for an Arabian oil sheik, and he wanted to repay her with some kind of a gift. And so he said, what can I give you? And she said, oh, there's, there's really nothing you can give me. It's fine. And he continued to insist. And so finally she said, well, I've taken up golf. And if you want to give me a set of golf clubs, I guess golf clubs would be fine. So she put in her request. Weeks went by. She heard nothing. No gift. And then finally one day she got this message in the mail, and it read as follows. He said, so far I bought you three golf clubs, but I hope you won't be disappointed because only two of them have swimming pools. <laughs> What's your greatest gift? Can you imagine getting only two swimming pools? One of the golf clubs didn't have it. 
Well, regardless of what your greatest gift is of all time, this morning I want you to see the greatest gift that's ever been given, the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you have your Bible open here to John chapter 1. We're going to be focusing primarily on verses 14 through 18, but I want to fast forward through all 18 verses this morning, this prologue here in the Gospel of John. And I want you to notice four images that were given that describe the Lord Jesus Christ to us. And you've got to understand now that John, here in his prologue, is trying to describe the undescribable. You can't put this gift into words. But he's going to try to do it now in these 18 verses this morning. And he gives us four images of the Lord Jesus Christ as he tries to describe this undescribable gift that God has given to us. Look at verses 1 through 3 as we open up the Word of God now and look at this prologue at the beginning of John's gospel. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, the Word unmistakably describes the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, let these words just sink into your mind for just a minute. Whether you've got it on your phone this morning or you've got your pad with you or whether you've got your, your Bible with you, I hope you've got your Bible opened up in some form or fashion. Let these words just sink in for just a minute. In the beginning was the Word. Now, you see, Matthew and Luke begin their versions of the Christmas story, what? By describing Jesus' earthly origin. They begin at the point of conception. But John begins way back here before creation. Before creation even began, Jesus Christ was before God even put this planet into place. And so he begins with Jesus' heavenly existence. And I think the first truth that John wants us to see here this morning is that the beginning was not... The beginning. You just think that that baby born in a manger was born and had a beginning at that point in time. But the beginning was not the beginning. Jesus Christ has existed since eternity. And so he paints this incredible picture here for us this morning. This Greek phrase that we've got for you, if you've got your notes at the bottom of page one, it's transliterated there for you, is an allusion, a reference to Genesis 1.1. And so we could translate, before time began, or before creation as we know it, was the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is in the imperfect tense in the Greek language, which was the past of continuous action, which simply means Jesus was... And Jesus was, and he was, and he was, and Jesus has always been since before time began. Now, this is just, you you can't get your mind around this, can you? 
our finite human minds can't put this all together. There's no way we can wrap our minds around this. It's just absolutely unbelievable. How can somebody be born that has always existed? It's unexplainable. How can someone have a beginning that really had no beginning? And yet that's what the Bible clearly teaches us. And if you look at your notes, if you got them coming in this morning, we've given you a number of scriptures there at the top of page two. And you can go home and you can do your own Bible study. And if you're not convinced of this truth, look up all of these references because they all teach you the same thing. Jesus Christ has existed since eternity. Now, there are actually four essential truths in these three verses. And you got to understand something this morning. I preached an entire message just on these first three verses, and we're going to fast forward now. But before we leave these three verses, just remember that John teaches us here that Jesus is eternal. He's a person, and he's not just a person, but he's a very unusual person. He is actually God, and all things that have ever been created were created. Look at verse 3 through him. He was the agent, the means by which God the Father put everything into place. Read Proverbs chapter 8 in the Old Testament. It'll teach you the same thing. Now, the New English Bible translates this phrase here in verses 1 and 2, what God was, the Word was. And you remember what Thomas said when he saw Jesus at the end of his lifetime? You remember what he said after the resurrection? He said, my Lord and my God. He recognized Jesus for who he was. And that's what John is teaching us here. What God was, the word was. And what's very interesting to me, and this is an important note for we evangelical Bible-believing Christians, okay? Because we've got so many cults out here today that would have you to believe that Jesus Christ is a lesser being than God and that somehow he was created after God the Father came into being. But if you understand the Greek language and what John is describing here, you can follow along now in your notes And if you notice where the definite article is placed here in this verse of Scripture, it's placed before the word. And there is no definite article before the Greek word God. If you understand anything about Greek and the Greek construction, then it's very clear, it's unmistakable who the subject is in this verse of Scripture. The subject is Jesus Christ, the word. And it very clearly says the word God was God, fully God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so if I was going to pick a word to describe these first three Bible verses, I would say John is trying to tell us that Jesus Christ is infinite, infinite. And I looked up that word infinite. You know what it means? It means never ending, unlimited, beyond measure, boundless, 
You can't get your mind around it. You cannot describe him because it's undescribable. But he's trying to put it into words for us here. And then he goes on in verses 4 and 5. And the second word that I think, the second description of Jesus that he's trying to get us to see here in these verses is that Jesus Christ is not only infinite, but he's invincible. Listen to what he says. In him, that is, in the Word, who was God, in him was life. And the life was the light of men, verse 4. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, some of your translations will say, has not or cannot comprehend it. And that's a difficult Greek construction, but I'm going to go with this, this version, this, this translation has not overcome it this morning. The word, the light, in him was life. He's invincible, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the life which is being described here is life in a qualitative sense. It's not just existence. Everybody just take a deep breath with me for a minute. It's always good to take a deep breath when you're, you're just about a third of the way through a sermon, okay? Helps you stay awake. You take a deep breath, and you put your hand over your heart, and it's beating. And yes, you are alive. You are existing. But that's not what this word life means. In him was life. He's not just describing existence now. This is life in a qualitative sense. Life eternal, life abundant, life as God intended us to experience life and have life. And it's the kind of life, look at the beginning of verse 4, that can only be found where? In him. In him was life, and in him is life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He described himself as what? The light of the world who offers us life. And so John is using these same images here in this verse of Scripture. Now, this is important to camp on for just a moment. Because there's a lot of people out there today that believe that somehow you can experience meaningful life by living up to some kind of rigorous set of religious rules. You know, if I just do this, and if, I'm, if, I, if I just do this often enough and good enough, then somehow I'm going to please God and, I, and I'll experience life. But life, eternal life, abundant life, cannot be found in following a set of rigorous religious rules because you you can't be good enough to earn God's favor and experience life. Life can only be found in a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In him was life, and he offers us light. The light shines in the darkness, present tense, It shined, it's shining, and it will always shine, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And this is important because there are so many people out there in our world today and you rub shoulders with them. You run into people Monday through Friday who need to hear this message. They need this life. There are people that are desperately looking for light in the midst of darkness. For whatever the reason, as I, as I read these verses, I, I think of an episode in my own life as a little boy. Some of you know that I'm from the Midwest, and I, my parents actually from, come from the panhandle of Texas, Amarillo, Texas. I was talking with somebody here in our church family that's actually been to Amarillo, Texas. We were having fun talking about that, that steakhouse there on I-40, and you, you can go in, you can get this 72-ounce steak, and you can, you can eat it all in 20 minutes, you get another one. Just what you want if you eat one of those. Oh, gee, thanks. But as a little boy, we were living in Colorado Springs, and we would make the, the trip to Amarillo, Texas to visit my grandparents about every Christmas. Remember distinctly being in our old station wagon and we were going to Amarillo for Christmas and New Year's and we got caught in one of those blizzards like you have here in New York. But the only thing is in Amarillo and on the plains, they don't have the, the hills like the Catskill Mountains to block the wind. And so we're caught in this blizzard. And I remember waking up in the back seat of the station wagon And it was one of the only times in my life that I remember hearing my parents talk in the front seat, and I could tell that they were afraid because we couldn't see. The winds were blowing through the plane. It was a blizzard. It was a whiteout. And they're they're talking, and I couldn't understand what they were saying, but obviously as parents, they're afraid we're going to get stranded there, and, and this may be it. And then my dad looks up, and here are the taillights of this 18-wheeler. This guy, this truck driver, gets out of the truck, and he goes up to my dad's window, and he says, follow me, follow me. My dad very slowly followed those taillights, those lights in the midst of this whiteout blizzard. And that 18-wheeler led us into the safety of a motel lot that night. And I'm living to tell about it now. Thank God for those lights. But there are a lot of people in our world today that don't don't have the light. They don't know the Savior. They don't know what we've celebrated this morning. They They don't know the joy of singing that wonderful chorus, wonderful, merciful Savior. And hearing the the ladies sing an anthem like that today, they just don't have that joy. What a privilege and what an obligation. What a responsibility to all of us that we share this message this this Christmas season with those that that really are caught up in a whiteout blizzard. They're, They're in darkness, but the light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Now, there's two ways you can choose to live life. You can choose to focus on the light, or you can choose to focus on the darkness. And I want to just say one other thing before we fast forward and move on here. There are a lot of Christians living today that are living life, and you know what they're doing? 
they're living their life and they're basically just cursing the darkness. Because we do live in a dark world. We do. And it is a scary world. And it's a world, I wonder what kind of world if the Lord tarries, what kind of world my grandchildren are going to grow up in. And it's difficult not to focus on the darkness and to get overwhelmed by the darkness and to get discouraged. Where is this world headed anyway? But you can either choose to focus on the darkness, and yes, God is allowing Satan to have his day in the sun. The enemy is having his day in the sun right now. But the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Compare the 21st century to the 1st century. Or compare the 21st century to the Middle Ages. There's always been darkness. But the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has never overcome it yet. And the darkness will not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness. Jesus Christ is invincible. And so James Kelly said, I'd rather light a candle than curse the darkness. And we have a choice as we go through life. We can choose choose to curse the darkness or we can light a candle. We have the greatest hope. We have the only hope. We have the hope, we have the answer that people that were walking in darkness need. So let's light a candle this Christmas season and share the good news of our Lord Jesus. Now, the this third truth that I want you to see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus Christ is not only infinite and he's not only invincible, but Jesus Christ is the great illuminator. Look at verses 9 through 13. Verses 6 through 8 are really a parenthesis in this prologue descriptive of John the Baptist who came to bear witness of this light. But look at verses 9 through 13. The true light, the illuminator, the one which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet through the world, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But, all, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, before we move to the last four verses where I want to spend the rest of my time this morning, I want you to notice three key thoughts in these four verses. Jesus Christ is the light. But before people can come to the light and experience the life which he offers, I want you to notice three key thoughts or steps here. Notice the word recognize. They did not recognize or they did not know him. Underline that word recognize. Then notice the word receive. They did not receive him, but to those who did receive him, underline that word receive. And then notice the word right. To them, he gave the right, the power or the authority to become a child of God. There are three things that must happen in any person's life before they can 
experience the life which Jesus Christ offers. The first thing is they must recognize him for who he is. And see, there are a lot of people today walking in darkness that are blinded that just don't recognize Jesus Christ for who he is and the way that we're de- John is describing him and presenting him to us this morning. People must recognize him. That's where apology and, and explaining the gospel comes in into play so that people have a clear picture of who Jesus Christ is. But it's not enough just to recognize him. There are a lot of people that will give intellectual assent to the truth that, well, yeah, there was a baby born in the manger and we call him Jesus. But it's just, that's all it is. It's just intellectual belief. It's never grip their heart. People must not just recognize him for who he is, but they must receive him. And this word receive, which is repeated twice here in these verses, literally means to take to one side or to receive to oneself or to take in hand, to take into hand. Be like this. I've got this Bible and... uh, you know, Jerry, uh, he's, he's, he's been looking at this thing, and he's, he's, he's seen me bring this to prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. And so, yeah, I know you've been envious of this, Jerry. Okay, yeah, you wanted this brown Bible, you know. And so, yeah, you're, and so, you know, I know he wants it. He'd like to have it. And so I can, I can offer it to him as a gift. And he recognizes, hey, this is the Bible. You know, you know that intellectually, it's the Bible. And I'm offering it to you as a gift now. But when does it become yours? It doesn't become, it's not enough for me just to offer it to you, is it? It only becomes yours when you receive receive it, when he reaches out and takes it for himself. This word to receive means to take in hand, to bring to one side, to, to receive. And you can't become a Christian until you've received it till you take it for yourself and make it personal. You receive him for yourself and you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you do that, the third key word, he gives you the right, the authority, the power you become if you receive and trust this this savior, you become a child of God. That's the gospel. And Jesus Christ is the great illuminator. This is what he wants everyone to understand this Christmas season. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, infinite, eternal, invincible. The great illuminator to us. And the proof of that is the, the last four verses in this passage. Let's look at them now very quickly. And the final image that, that John offers us now in his prologue this morning is, can be summarized in this word, incarnation. Jesus Christ, the infinite. Jesus Christ, the invincible one. Jesus Christ, the great illuminator, the one that brings us light and life. And God proves the reality of this gift that he offers us by sending Jesus for us. The Bible calls that the incarnation. Notice what he says. 
Les read it for us. And the word became flesh. Now look at verse 14, which I just read, the beginning of verse 14. Now look back up the page to verses 1 through 3. Look at verses 1 through 3, which we just, we talked about at the beginning of this study. In the beginning was the Word, verse 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now look at verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. This Word become, to become flesh literally means to pitch a tent. That's what it means. It means to camp out with, to hang out with. How many of you men in here today enjoy going on a camp out? Could I just see your hands? How many of you wives let your husbands go on a camp out? Every, every once in a while, right? That's this Greek word. It means literally to pitch a tent. It's the same word used in the the Septuagint version of the Old Testament. If you look back at Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35, or if you look at Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11, and I'm I'm fast-forwarding through my notes now. I'm not going to get to everything this morning. I'm at the top of page 5 now. If you look back at the Old Testament... This is the same word used in the Greek version of the Old Testament to describe the Old Testament tabernacle. When God's glory came down and filled the tabernacle, and it's the same word used in Exodus 33. Remember when Moses used to pitch that tent outside the camp and he'd go out and he would meet with God face to face and talk to God face to face and God's presence would come down on that tent? That's the same word. And so now we're, we're, we're seeing that God has come. He's pitched a tent in human flesh. He's become like you and me. He came so that he could taste what we taste and feel what we feel and, and struggle with what we struggle with and go through what we go through and die like we die. So we don't have to die. He came to us so that we could go to the Father. Jesus Christ pitched a tent. Remember when I was a young pastor, first church that I ever had the the opportunity to pastor was in Beauville, Idaho. I was out there one summer in the Rocky Mountains, and I decided I was going to have incarnational ministry. And so I was going to go out, and I was going to go camping with some of the young guys in the church. And I was a young guy myself then, and that was back before the days of those, these lightweight tents that we've got now. You remember? We've got all these great tents now. The weather can't get in the tents that they have now. You go buy one at Cabela's or wherever. That was back in the days before these things. We just had that, that, those green army tents, you know? And we get out there in those green army tents, and we're, we're sleeping out there in the cold of the Rocky Mountains, and it started to rain. And it was one of the most miserable nights that I've ever spent in all of my life because the rain came through the tent and it came on. And we were wetter than a duck in a pond by the next morning. It was miserable. But Jesus Christ was willing 
to become miserable. He pitched a tent. He went camping with us. He became like you and me. He took on flesh. And this becomes the ultimate demonstration and proof of God's love for all people. Jesus Christ tabernacled would be another way to translate this this verse. He tabernacled among us. And look at verses 14 through 18, full of God's glory, full of God's glory. We, we We experienced glory upon glory. And notice the word we, we, we saw it. That mean we that you know what that means? That means we gazed. We didn't just get a little glimpse of it. We saw it and we hung out with him when he was tabernacling with us. And we saw it day in and day out. And you know what those eleven guys did? You know what that we is? That we is John and the other eleven apostles. And they were so convinced that it was true. They were all martyred. They gave their lives for this truth. All except one, John, and he was banished to the island of Patmos. Suffered for it. They were convinced of this truth. Very God of very God. Philip Yancey, in his wonderful book, The Jesus That I Never Knew, tells a story of uh, Queen Elizabeth II, when she visited the United States several years ago, and when she came to visit, she brought along all of her stuff with her and all of her attendants. Listen to the laundry list of what she brought when she came here to the United States as royalty to visit this country. 4,000 pounds of luggage, Elizabeth and I are getting on a plane here this week. We're going out to the Midwest. I think my wife would shoot me if I brought 4,000 pounds of luggage with me. She brought two outfits for every occasion, even a funeral outfit in case someone died, 40 pints of plasma, white kid leather toilet seat covers. You ever want some of those? She brought along her, her own hairdresser, two valets, a host of other attendants, you know what, what it cost her to come to this country on a visit? Over $20 million, all of the stuff that she brought. $20 million bucks, according to this article. Now think about it. When Jesus came, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the King of this universe, the one through whom all things that have ever been created have been created, when he came... He was born in a manger, in a stable, and laid in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. When I was a kid, we had what we called show and tell in kindergarten. And we'd love to to come to kindergarten, and we had to bring something from home, and we'd show it, and then we'd tell about it. This morning, what you have in this passage of Scripture is the incredible description of the undescribable Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Aren't you going to love to be in his presence? 
and say thank you to him. Jesus Christ, infinite, infinite, invincible, the great illuminator who was willing to come and become incarnate and live among us so that we could have life. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, uh, uh, we can't, we can't do your word justice. And so I ask now, God, that by the power of your spirit, you will give your people an appetite, a hunger to go home today and pull out the gospel of John and reread the prologue and take these notes and look up the verses and just dive in and get a little taste of who you really are and what you've really given us. And help us to praise and worship you as we come back next Sunday with the cantata and then on Christmas Eve and hear the story again. Help us to praise and worship you and thank you this Christmas season. In your name we pray. Mike, would you come and lead us in the closing song?